the experience of being known. There's a beautiful reading in the Office of Readings for Holy Saturday. It's the homily by a second-century anonymous author. So this is Jesus, the risen Jesus, speaking to us. Arise, O man, work of my hands. Arise, you who were fashioned in my image. Rise, let us go hence, for you in me and I in you, together we form one undivided person. This beautiful words take us to the heart of the non-dual message of the gospel. Self-knowledge has always been seen to be the necessary foundation of the knowledge of God. It's one of the universal truths. Know yourself. It goes back a long way to the Egyptian temple at Luxor. Man, know yourself and you will know the gods. The importance of self-knowledge. And this self-knowledge is necessary for our knowledge of the greater reality to which we are related. And in the Christian understanding, this self-knowledge arises from the deepest point of our union with the risen Christ. That point at which he and I are one undivided person. So if he and Lawrence what does that say about my relationship with each of you? Because each of you is also in that undivided personal reality with Christ. You also form one undivided person with Christ. I look at you, you look at me, we disagree on things, we agree on things. You like me, I like you, you don't like me, I don't like you. So at some levels, of course, our differences are very obvious, but in another dimension or at another level, we are joined in that undivided union with Christ. This is why the way of self-knowledge is a therapeutic way. It is a way of making oneself able to be known. A way of making myself able to be known by others. As I come to know myself, I am allowing myself to be known and to know that I am known. This means that I am no longer or less fixated on myself, but on this way of self-knowledge, I'm throwing myself open to others and to the wonderful otherness of the cosmos. The opposite of knowledge is ignorance. But ignorance is a necessary element of knowledge. I know what I don't know. And there are some things I don't know anything about. It's wonderful just to learn that they exist. So if we are on a way of self-knowledge, we are continually discovering what we don't know about ourselves, about others, about the cosmos. And the more we know, 
the more we are aware that we don't know. So it keeps us humble. The fruits of meditation, for example, could be said to be a form of the knowledge of God. Love, joy, peace, patience. I'm knowing God through God's growing in me in these ways, in transforming me in these ways. So ignorance is necessary. This takes us to a deeper understanding of sin, even. At the superficial level of religion, sin is a, the breaking of a rule or a law or a taboo. Those rules and laws can be changed by cultural or legal decree or cultural development. But generally speaking, at that superficial level of religion, we see sin primarily in terms of non-conformity. We're not conforming to the specific rules about what is right behavior. Then, again, at that superficial level of religion, which is increasingly rejected by most people today, if you break those rules willfully, then you should be punished. This is just extrapolating onto the relationship with God or the state or with our parents when we're children. If you break the rules, you'll pay for it. So it's a very superficial, primitive in a way, level of religious understanding about self-knowledge and ignorance. But when we begin the way of self-knowledge, which is, of course, a contemplative path, we move to a deeper level, more subtle level of religion. At that more superficial level of religion, where sin should be punished, we open ourselves, of course, to conflict, condemnation, sentencing, and condemnation of others, plus all the complications of condemning ourselves. I was talking to somebody in the Catholic gay movement the other day. He was told to me how all his life he'd struggled with this self-hatred and self-rejection. He'd interiorized both the social, the cultural, and the, at the time, the church's condemnation of, of being a homosexual. He just turned that inward onto himself. Well, he survived, but survived very handicapped, psychologically, emotionally handicapped all his life by this idea of sin. And for him, the church was not what Francis calls a place of mercy. It was a place of condemnation and rejection. So it makes a big difference, the contemplative life, the way of self-knowledge, how we see humanity, how we see the different kinds of humanity as well as the failings and faults of humanity. And it makes a big difference to the kind of religion we are part of. And if we're worried or concerned or troubled by what is happening to the church in society and religion in society, well, this may be the way we have to look at it. This may be the cause because it is not in tune with the new kind of spiritual consciousness of our time. That doesn't mean to say the church has to be popular or has to be fashionable, but it does mean the church has to at least keep up with the progress that the world is making. 
In this life, we are always conscious of how much we don't know. This is what keeps us humble and also keeps us able to grow. In the first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul says, Now we see through a glass darkly or dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I have been fully known. So self-knowledge grows along with the experience of discovering that we are known. We can't know ourselves as an object that we sort of put under the microscope and analyze, but we know ourselves at the spiritual level as we are known, because we are known, in the process of being known. And this is something I think meditation makes quite clear to us, even though it's difficult to put into words, but we know that this is what we are entering into when we meditate. We're not looking at ourselves and saying, oh, that's interesting. Oh, now I know a bit more about myself. Actually, we do, but that's a side effect of meditation, that it will inevitably save you money on therapist fees. I'm not saying it's always an alternative to therapy, of course. You may need therapy as well. But generally speaking, psychoanalysis, psychotherapy is designed to bring us to an awareness and to an acceptance of ourselves, but first of all to be aware of our patterns, of our problems, of our interior conflicts, of the things we can't accept about ourselves, to recognize these and just live with them. Meditation will bring us to what the mystical writers call contemplation of nature, the first stage of contemplation, just to be aware of the environment around you. So in the same way, we become aware of our own interior environment. We recognize our own patterns. And we say, well, that's part of me. It's causing me some trouble. It's not, maybe it doesn't flatter me. Maybe I wish I could get rid of it, or maybe I wish I could grow out of it. But I can see that it's there, and I have to accept it for the time being. It's like St. Paul, he had these thorn in the flesh that he couldn't get rid of. He had to accept it. So, meditation will bring us to this psychological self-awareness, but that's not the self-knowledge that we're talking about. The self-knowledge we're talking about is, at a deeper and simpler level, the experience of being who we are. Psychological self-awareness is still at the level of thought and analysis or judgment. We see these things about ourselves and we recognize them, we name them, we label them. But in this deeper level of prayer, we enter into being, not thinking. So we're being ourselves rather than thinking about ourselves. And it's out of this being that this self-knowledge arises. It arises as a grace, and as it arises, it cannot be separated from the knowledge that we are known. So as we know ourselves at this deeper level, we know that we are known. For you in me and I in you 
together we form one undivided person. Our Christian faith, our reading of scripture, our celebration of the Eucharist, our life with others in community, our theologizing together, our living within the symbolism and the, and the tradition of, of the church, all of this gives us ways and means of understanding what this means. This is everyone's life's work. That's why we have to keep awake. People on this path of self-knowledge derive happiness from it. They are happy that they are on this path of self-knowledge. Not because their blood pressure is improving or because they sleep better at night or because they're less stressed, but they are just happy that they are on this path and they are experiencing the fruits of their own humanity developing, expanding as the Spirit of God enriches and expands them. So we come to love our meditation. Whatever leads us to self-knowledge is something we will come to love. And when you love it, you don't bellyache about having to do your meditation. You're grateful that you have your meditation to do. And it may take you some time before you get to that point, but it's not an obligation you have to feel guilty about because you don't do it. There's no obligation on you to eat two or three meals a day. There's no obligation on you to do a reasonable amount of exercise to keep your muscle tone. There's no obligation on you to read so that your mind doesn't degenerate. But these are natural things that you like to do and, and uh, love to do. So people on this path of self-knowledge derive happiness and pleasure directly from it. It comes directly from the practice itself. And those who are not on this way of self-knowledge, who haven't yet found a way of self-knowledge that they can follow, then they will look for pleasure and happiness in other ways. Thank you.